Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. On this episode of the Fieldhouse Files, I have a jammed-packed show for you, including the Pacers going 3-1 on their homestand with wins over Philadelphia and Phoenix, how the team's battling an injury bug, and Tyrese Halliburton expected to return Tuesday at Boston. What does it mean for his contract? And to preview the matchup, I'm joined by Drew Carter, the Celtics' new TV voice on NBC Sports Boston. And finally, my one-on-one conversation with Oscar Shibway, joining to discuss his rookie season and being added to the G League up next game. I know that Fieldhouse Files has a prolific following. You know, I just want to be careful about sharing too much with the world. And welcome into the Fieldhouse Files, the podcast where I take you behind the scenes with the Pacers, talk to individuals on and around the team, and tell you what you need to know. Well, after wrapping up a four-game homestand, the Pacers are out on the road, out east, for three of their next four games, including two in a row, first at Boston Tuesday night, and then Thursday at MSG, the Mecca, at Madison Square Garden. But the Pacers did a nice job on this past homestand, winning three of the four, Philadelphia, Phoenix, Memphis are the wins. They lost to Denver, and in all of those games, they were without Tyrese Halliburton. But help is on the way. Tyrese is with the team in Boston and said Monday after practice that he intends to play. Depending on how he woke up and felt Tuesday morning up in Boston, that was fully his intention. Quote, the plan is to play tomorrow for me. I'll see how I feel in the morning when I wake up, and that kind of thing will dictate that answer but I feel good, ready to go. The medical staff has done a great job preparing me to get back, and hopefully I'm ready to go. Before practice yesterday, Rick Carlisle saying how Halliburton uh, went through a about a 20-minute scrimmage with the team assistants, the interns, uh, along with end-of-bench guys to kind of see how he felt. And those have been happening over the last couple of weeks. So uh, they've been able to track his development. He's been able to ramp up and do more out on the court. And I think that was kind of... Not one final test, but uh, something that the medical staff and coaching staff wanted to see and Tyrese needed to see and feel um, because he acknowledged returning to Portland, quote, throughout the game there was some soreness or whatever. To my knowledge, I couldn't make it worse by playing, so I kept playing. My body just didn't react the way I wanted it to. I was hurting pretty bad after the game, end quote. First of all, uh, I'm very curious who was telling him I couldn't make it worse by playing because that's (laughs) – Everything I know about hamstring injuries, you can make it worse. It could be a grade two. It could be a grade three. Um, On top of that, you could have a setback. And so early last week, a week ago, Rick Carlisle saying, hey, he's going to miss the next three games at least, and we'll go from there. He ended up being out the the last four games, including the Memphis, who was severely shorthanded that you just felt bad for the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, But Halliburton wasn't needed. They still won. Um, But I did not like how he said he didn't think he could make it worse by playing because 
that just does not seem to be true and very concerning if he did feel that way, as he said. Um, then going into the game saying he felt soreness, and then afterwards he was hurting pretty bad, yeah, I'd say the medical staff and, tra- and uh, coaching staff did the right thing by uh, holding him out for the last week, as he said, quote, back to square one, end quote. Yeah, absolutely, it is. After something like that, you need to, you can't mess around with hamstrings. This is likely something he's going to feel and deal with for the remainder of the season because that's what it is. Um, with a hamstring injury, this is something that you probably need to have extended time off from, from to allow the fibers and the, all of that to heal itself. But Tyrese went through practice, is feeling good enough. So right now, uh, as of Tuesday morning, he is expected to go Tuesday night at Boston, and this seemed like a game he had been targeting for at least a week. Uh, number one, it's against the best team in the league. Secondly, uh, the Celtics is the team his injury came against back on January 8th. Uh, it's also a team that demolished the Pacers in their last visit to Boston when they were without Tyrese in that game as well as a, what, 51-point beatdown embarrassment uh, without Tyrese. And now going back there, it's their lone national TV appearance scheduled for the season, if you ignore kind of the in-season tournament and what developed from that. The one TNT game. It would have been his first if not for the tournament, by the way. And so that matters to him. Now, that's in large part, I think, why uh, and helped him, that tournament run in the national TV appearances, helped him be the top vote-getter among Eastern Conference guards because he got that exposure. And they're seeing how he piles up 20-plus points and something like 14 assists per game and zero turnovers. More individuals, fans, media are being exposed to his game in a good way, and that's benefited him. And so he's really been wanting to return for this game, so I'm not surprised. Now I'll just be curious what he looks like, and I hope and expect for them not to play him maybe 35 minutes like they did in Portland. Maybe you ramp. let's have a slow ramp-up period here. Maybe it's 25 minutes, maybe it's 22, about 20. Um, I wouldn't feel good if it's pushed into 30 in his first game back. But again, medical is not my expertise. I recognize that. I've just seen so many cases like this over my dozen years covering this league. But the huge addition there, and it'll be fun to see what he looks like even more so now that Pascal Siakam's had a couple practices under his belt with the team. And since they practiced, they've had that success on the court. It's so difficult to make that transition over. And you got to uh, figure out tendencies of your your team and your opponents and where players like it, and they need to figure out where he likes it, as I discussed in the last podcast. But the other interesting aspect with Tyrese is his big number is three. He can only miss three more games and potentially still qualify for All-NBA. He's missed 10 of the last 11 games. The positive is they, the team went 6-4 and four in the games without him, but the Celtics, 36-11, and 11, a really good team. This will be on national TV. Tyrese coming back from injury. And with 35 games left here, uh, he needs to play in all but three in order to qualify for All-NBA. Why does that matter? Uh, Then he could be voted to one of three All-NBA teams. And if he is, which he would be tracking certainly right now, the way in which he's played at this level, there is a substantial difference in his contract. I've outlined it a couple times on fieldhousefiles.com over the last week. The difference is about $53 million. He'd go from, at minimum, he, he's, he's set regardless, let's be honest. But also, if you can make more money, you want to make more money. And so he's guaranteed roughly about $207 million, 25% of the cap. But if he's voted on an All-NBA team, he could earn 
up to $53 million more, estimates put it. Uh, that would be $260 million over the next five years rather than $207 million. Now, on Tuesday, we did get an updated uh, salary cap estimate for next year at $141 million for teams. So easy math. 25% of that is $35.25 million in year one of Halliburton's uh, extension contract. He's coming off his rookie deal this year. So 35.25 or the 30% of that, if he qualifies and then is voted on All-NBA, it would be $42.3 million. So uh, who among us would not take an extra $7 million in anything? Of course he would want that. Now, I, I've talked it over with several different people over the last week or two, and for one, uh, this is a, a gray area. This is where it's tough to have an ar arbitrary number. And new this year under the collective bargaining agreement, is that in order for a player to be eligible for the major awards, we're talking MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, All-NBA, a player must play in at least 65 games. Now, of two of those, it counts if a player plays at least 15 minutes. That's notable. Uh, for one, because Tyrese has two games that maybe he'd like to argue at the end of the season if it matters and it gets to this level. Now, if he's got to play in three of the final 35 being honest, the chances are not good for him right now because uh, a hamstring injury is tricky, and you know between his schedule and such, we will see. But he's going to have to play in 32 of the 35 final games to be eligible. Now, those two games he would like to be exceptions and included. Uh, we first of all, uh, in talking with league sources over the last couple of days, those would not be even be in consideration until the end of the season until they see what his situation looks like so it's nothing that could be acknowledged right now or uh, working knowledge for his agent or him or the medical staff coaching staff etc but those two games number one the game he got injured january 8th he played f almost 14 minutes it was like 13 minutes 29 seconds 14 minutes we'll call it you have to play at least 15 for it to count an injury it, i mean the, the this is where the human and aspect comes in the empathy comes in uh, for the player uh, the second game being the in-season tournament championship game. It doesn't count against the team's record. It doesn't count against their player stats. And it does not count in terms of the 65 games required to be played. And so this would impact even like a LeBron. if He's close to that 65-game threshold. He reached the championship game. That game would not count for him. Um, and then, of course, the, the Halliburton game where he got injured. Uh, so we will see. Right now, the magic number is three. So that's to keep in mind every game that Tyrese misses matters not only for the Pacers, but is worth m potentially millions for Tyrese's upcoming earnings beginning on Jan July 1 when the new contract kicks in. Now, ahead of Tuesday's game, Pacers have several players questionable. Uh, Benedict Matherin, Miles Turner, Jalen Smith. I would at this juncture, expect for them to go. Uh, now, as of this recording, T.J. McConnell, who did not play in the last game due to personal reasons, he's been downgraded to out due to illness. On the Celtic side, they played last night. They beat the Pelicans. Each of their starters played at least 33 minutes. They're not going to have Al Horford Tuesday night. Porzingis, who did not play Monday night, is questionable. Um, so that'll be interesting. If they have that starting five, that's the most potent starting five in the NBA. So this will be a fun one on TNT Tuesday night. It is a TNT exclusive broadcast. So there is no Bally Sports Indiana, no Quinn Buckner and Chris Denarian, JJ, uh, for you for this game. But they will be back Thursday when the team is in New York. And uh, now 
I'll be joined by Drew Carter. He's a Syracuse guy, uh, a young guy uh, that I've gotten to know over this last year. Uh, in the offseason, he was named the upcoming voice of the Celtics TV play-by-play. Mike Gorman in his last year of a historic, memorable career up in Boston. So this year, Carter's working himself in on the road, doing road broadcasts, much like you're familiar with back in the day with Slick Leonard, his final like five years, let's call it. He didn't travel with the team since that heart attack in Madison Square Garden, uh, the heart issue. Uh, he did home games, though. And so Gorman continuing to do that, Drew Carter in year one, calling the road games and beginning next year, he'll take over as the full-time TV voice of the Boston Celtics. What a gig for him. So it's good to have him on the podcast. And here's that conversation followed by my one-on-one interview with Oscar Shibway Monday night at Gamebridge Fieldhouse after the Mad Ants win over the Westchester Knicks. All right, as promised, I now welcome into the show Drew Carter, Syracuse proud grad, as well as in his first year as the play-by-play road voice of the Boston Celtics. And Drew, what an incredible career already for you. Um, you know, recent graduate of Syracuse, work with Big Ten Network, with ESPN, now with a f- incredible franchise like the Boston Celtics with NBC Sports Boston. What has this kind of been like for you as uh, your career has really taken off? And, and right now with the contending team in the Eastern Conference documenting what they are doing on a game-by-game basis. Well, Scott, first of all, I'm sorry. You just heard my email ding. That's kind of my life, right? That's that's sort of fitting as you ask about that. I'll close my email because i got a lot of stuff going on right now. Um, I appreciate you having me on and saying that. Uh, like you said, went to Syracuse, so Anthony Calhoun is my guy, but I feel like everyone in the greater Indianapolis area could say that, and probably a lot of people across the country too. Um, and after that, spent two years in Alabama doing local news, and then I went to ESPN and uh, this is my first year with the Celtics, and it's just been amazing. I mean, you know how it is in the NBA, Scott. Like, there's so much energy in every building you go into, um, especially when you're covering a team like the Celtics, which has an amazing fan base and a ton of history. And I joined at the right time uh, because the team is incredible and has been in first place for the majority of the season. And, you know, people have really high expectations, but I think that's a good thing. Um, and I, I hope to be doing this job for like 50 years. I, you know, I hope to retire as as the uh, play-by-play announcer for the Celtics. And the cool thing is, you know, they could have a couple down years here and there. But when you're in Boston and you you have the the organization that we're working with, you don't expect them to be bad for any extended period of time. Um, and then you have seasons like this where, you know, they're the favorites to win the championship, except for when we play at Indiana. For some reason, we struggle with that one. But other than that, it's been a lot of fun. That's the one thing that's worked out well for the Pacers here recently is they've gotten up for all, really the last couple of months, especially with the in-season tournament, is they've gotten up for those big games against big opponents. But on the other side, they've also lost to the Portland Trailblazers. Yeah. But it was crazy. At the beginning of January, they had a kind of a weekend series, home and home with Milwaukee. Then the same thing with Boston coming here to Indianapolis and got a real test. And so now they've already played Milwaukee five times because of the tournament. Now it'll be Boston for the fifth time, although this last time for this season will be different because Pascal Siakam. Hold the thought because I do want to finish up about you as well. Yeah. I know you, you wanted to get kind of get into broadcasting play-by-play and that this was something um, that not only you could do but do at a high level. Well, in high school was when I realized that, you know, talking about sports could be a job because, um, you know, I, I've got the same story as everyone in broadcasting and and probably in writing as well, which is, when I realized I couldn't play sports for a living, I figured I'd try to talk about them for a living. Like everybody says that, you know, a biggest, it's like it, even bigger cliche than, you know, 
it's cold outside, but it's heating up inside. You know, you, you hear that stuff over and over, especially in Indy. Away from it, but yes, yes, yeah. So I, I had the same thing in high school. I realized I wasn't going to play in the NBA. Uh, I actually realized that in middle school. But so I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Took a journalism class in high school. Fell in love with it. Uh, Bill Simmons was a huge influence on me, which is pretty cool now that I I, I call games for his favorite team and. I feel like that actually helped me a lot because I learned a lot about Celtics history just listening to that guy and when he brings his dad on and his, all of his friends from Boston. Um, so I, I wanted to be a writer in high school, went to college thinking I would do that, but then kind of met the right people and got some great experience on the air, first in radio and then on TV and got super lucky at every step of the way. Like I got to cover the Super Bowl when I was in college. We went down to Radio Row. That was the first time we we did that at Syracuse. And now they're about to send like 20 kids down there this year. There was just four of us that that first year. Uh, but ACC Network launched my senior year and Syracuse is an ACC school now. So got to do some of those broadcasts and work with professionals in a professional environment. So just got really lucky at every step of the way. And then this the Celtics thing, it's, it truly is the dream job. Like I'm not I'm not saying that as like just a figure of speech. I've actually dreamed about doing exactly this, like working for a network like ESPN and then being the voice of a team and getting to develop a relationship with a fan base and traveling with a team and seeing them every day. It's really neat. Um, what I've learned about Celtics fans is there's a lot of scar tissue here um, from the last 15 years, ever since they won their last title. For me, I'm coming in and I'm like strolling in every arena, like so cocky, like, oh my God, we got the best team by a mile. We're going to win every game by 50. But then you talk to Celtics fans and they're like, I don't know, man. Like, you know, we're playing the Pistons at home tonight. This is exactly the kind of game we lose. And it's sort of like what you talked about with the Pacers earlier. I think the Pacers are more susceptible to, you know, highs and lows with just how they play. Celtics fans have seen them lose lose games that they have no business losing and play down to their competition and frankly, you know, disappoint them in the playoffs enough where they're not as confident as maybe you would expect this city and this franchise to be. But I do think they have the best team at the end of the day. What is the challenge, Drew, though, at least right now, where you're somewhat parachuting in in terms of when you're on the air and when you're not, kind of that yeah. balance, um, being the guy for road games specifically. I don't know if you do any home games or fill in from time to time, but what is that balance like for you? Yeah, just so people know, because it, it is kind of a weird situation. I, I don't know if anyone's done this before. So Mike Gorman has called Celtics games on the local show for over 40 years now. This is year 43 for him. Um, and so it, it's also his last year. And, you know, the travel, I think, is is hard for him at, at this point. And so the way they wanted to do the transition, it actually makes a lot of sense. If you think about it, is they'll bring somebody in who's going to, you know, take the torch from him next year when he retires and to cut down on travel for Mike. That person would do the road games. Mike would still do the home games. And then starting next year, I'll do the entire slate. The tough thing about that, and, there, you know, there are a couple weird parts about that. Um, like, number one, Mike and I just do the job differently. Um, you know, Mike is from Boston, you know, he's, he's been doing this job almost twice as long as I've been alive. Right. And he's a little more understated. He talks about the invisible third person in the booth. And so I've tried to learn a lot from him, but at the end of the day, we're, we're two different people and we do the job in two different ways. So I've, I've tried to balance being myself, being authentic to myself while still making it a smooth transition for the fan. You know, I don't want it to be too jarring. Like I can't, I can't speak. 20 times as much as Mike Gorman does, even if I might feel compelled to sometimes, you know, especially with a game like Celtics Pacers where it's up and down and it's a lot of fun. 
Um, but the other part of that that was tough at the beginning is you might be aware of this, but the Celtics started 20 and 0 at home. Um, and Mike also called the, the opener on the road at New York. So he was 21 and 0. And I was like 13 and 9. Yeah. And that, that yeah, exactly. So 13 and 9, pretty good. You know, I think most guys would take that four games over 500. For me, I was like, I'm the reason we're losing every game. Um, and I thought, you know, there was a chance earlier this year, I thought I might be calling a home game in the middle of February. Um, and if they had still been undefeated with Mike at home and I had called the first home loss, I don't think I would have been allowed back in that building again. So I was probably the look, I, I like when the team wins. It makes our job more fun. We, we're not really supposed to root in the industry. But when you work with a team and cover a team every day and get to know people, you do want them to win. Um, and so I always root for the Celtics. But. I was kind of relieved that Gorman finally lost a game, so I wasn't the only one. Fair. No, totally. And, yeah, you want them to win because the people you're around, you want them to be happy and to succeed. And Because you're part of that. You feel them on an everyday basis in terms of yeah. what their work is. Is You want it to be fruitful and to be part of that. So that's really cool. It's funny. We kind of went different ways. I more so wanted broadcasting and have leaned more into – writing and all that type of aspect in addition to some play-by-play where you said you were the exact opposite at least initially so it's one of those you just never exactly know how things will turn out and it depends on what works out and what break you get and and what you make the most you know can you make the most of some situation like that you brought up the win streak at home I was going to bring it up anyway um, because they have lost now two of the last three games they did win uh, Monday night the night before the Celtics hosted the Pacers, a tough Pelicans matchup. All the starters played 33-plus minutes. Um, given Boston has so much talent, but why do you think they have been so successful in home games and really made that a home court? Because it's one thing to be you know, dominant. It's one th- the other thing to be basically undefeated at home for the most part. Yeah, so we've always, obviously talked about the home streak a lot, you know, and there are a lot of you know layers to that onion. First one being the best home season of all time was the 86 Celtics who were 40 and one at home in the regular season, They actually lost early and then ripped off a ton of wins in a row to end it. And they also were 10 and 0 at home in the playoffs. So you combine that 50 and one at the old garden at that time. And people were starting to think about that and starting to to bat that around. Like, could we maybe go 40 and one at home? And it, it sounds crazy, but they were halfway there when they, they won their first 20 games. I think the reason they do it is obviously, you know, you need a little bit of luck and, you know, you need a little bit of scheduling help, but the, the, the atmosphere there is like insanely cool. Um, I remember the first time I was there was for a preseason game and Mike was calling it. And I actually, I put this out on Twitter, but I took a video of, of a late game play where the crowd was going nuts. And I said, are we sure this is a preseason game? And so then there's where you can kind of see the Bill Simmons influence. Like, are we sure? Are we sure this is a, are we sure they're good? Like, are we sure it's, yeah sure it's a preseason game so uh I, I just i got to taste that like right off the bat and you know i grew up in minnesota where you know the timberwolves were my favorite team growing up and i've always been basketball has always been my favorite sport but basketball in minnesota it just you know, they're having a great year this year in that isn't it like wild twins yeah no i would say wild vikes twins wolves oh, yeah, yeah, Vikings, yep. Yeah, and then may- maybe the Lynx are above the Wolves anyway because the Lynx won a bunch of championships. They were a dynasty. It's been relevant here in the last 20 years, yeah. Right. Yeah. So the Wolves, like I grew up going to Wolves games where the, the environment was just not even remotely the same. 
Um, and it's it's better now that the team is good. But the, the Celtics, it's just that the hashtag is different here, and it, it does sort of feel that way. Um, it, it gets really, really juiced up in there. So I think there's a big home court advantage. But ultimately, Scott, like the team is just really good. Um, and if there's any if there's any slight advantage that the Celtics get with, you know, another team traveling in, getting in late or not being comfortable on the road or whatever it may be. I know, you know, the the travel is as posh as can possibly be nowadays. So it's not like it was in the mid 80s when they went 50 and one at home. But even still, the margin for error for the opponent against the Celtics, I think, is so slim that any extra advantage you have being at home for the Celtics is going to be enough to help you win 20 consecutive games to start the season. Curious, has there been one dominant storyline that stood out to you or change to the team here in the last uh, month, month and a half? And why I bring that up is for the Pacers standpoint, what they've really seen is uh, an upgrade in their defense. Like before it was, use whatever adjective you want, awful, embarrassing, you know, bottom of the barrel basically. And now yeah. they have worked their way up since late December to about average, to 17th, to 19th, to good enough in my mind to which they can hang in games. Now their scoring has gone down because of it and the little things like that. They still want to play fast. They still want to have the pace, the space, the assists led by Tyrese Halliburton. But has there been anything like that for the Celtics that you've seen, or is it more just about health and having those key starters out there for each game? So are you saying, Scott, that the pretty girl Rick Carlisle was talking about has been practicing her defense? (laughs) She can get a stop now? So the funny part about that. But it was that was a response to me asking literally about the deal really? back then and ways in which they can improve and things. Funny part was, I didn't. There's been so much going on right now from Tyrese's injury to the Pacers to them being on the road for six games and now a, a, then a homestand and all stars coming up that I haven't even had time to write about that viral clip that has taken off. So that today was a good reminder. I need to get back to that. <laughs> that was one of his fantastic lines. Is Rick will casually just insert um, either old school cliches or things that I have never heard of or old school like references. And yeah. It's a funny quote that had the whole room laughing before a game in December. It was awesome. I remember seeing that on Twitter and I'm like, am I reading this right? <laughs> you can't get a stop. So I, I really like Rick Carlisle. And speaking of the Celtics, I mean, when we were there, I think it was the second game of that uh, two game miniseries. Someone asked him, but it might have been you, Scott. People were asking him about the Celtics and, you know, how you slow them down, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, how many more times do you want me to compliment the opponent? I think I think that was him or maybe that was another. Co- it all blends together when you're, yeah. you're covering the same team. Might have been a different coach, but maybe it was Popovich. Like, how many times do you want me to compliment the other the other team? So everybody knows that the Celtics are loaded. And, and in terms of how the team has evolved, I actually think it's a little bit it's kind of the opposite of the Pacers. Like I think the Celtics, they've had some stretches this year where the offense has been insane. Um, They tied a franchise record for most consecutive games, scoring 120 points at nine. And that was snapped when they scored 119. (laughs) They dribbled the clock out. Um, And there have been some like explosions offensively. I think the thing that's different for the Celtics this year, which is why to me fans should feel more confident than they did last season is Porzingis. Um, and if, if Porzingis is healthy, you know, the more I watch this team, Scott, the more I think Porzingis might be the most important player, um, which is probably an overreaction, probably a little bit hot takey of me because Tatum is the guy. Um, and there's a reason he's starting the All-Star game now four years in a row. But Porzingis changes the calculus for the team. 
in the sense that, you know, I think people look at the Celtics and say they live by the three and they die by the three. They lead the league in three-pointers made and three-pointers attempted per game, even more than the Pacers. Last year, they attempted the second most threes per game. And there, there are times where they go out and they jack up 50. So if you make them, you win. If you miss them, you lose. That's the, the common narrative. I don't agree with that because the team is so good defensively. They've been in the top two or three in defensive rating all season. When their shots aren't falling, they now have an answer, and it's KP. He's been abusing guys in the post. Anytime you switch onto him, he will take you to the block. And if you don't, he'll pick and pop you to death. He's had his best, most efficient season, and he's also a great defender. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the only time the Celtics have been blown out at home was when he didn't play against the Clippers on Saturday. Now, I think they would have lost anyway. They came out flat. They couldn't make anything, and that kind of affected how they they were in rhythm or, or not really in rhythm. But Porzingis is the difference this year, and I think that's only crystallized over the last few weeks is just how important he is to this team. Did not play last uh, last night against the Pelicans. I guess we'll see. Um, it sort of seems like he's day-to-day, much like Tyrese Halliburton right now. But it, it is funny you mentioned KP in terms of just because previously played with her Carlisle there in Dallas for a brief yeah. So those two very familiar with what they're doing. And the challenge just from a Pacers standpoint is when you look at the Celtics, they have all, all the type of weapons that pose challenges to the Pacers and probably the majority of teams because ignoring the Pascal Siakam addition – is their biggest weakness has been out on the wing with size, with athleticism. Well, that's Tatum, that's Brown, that's Vingas. And I don't care about Drew Holiday's size. He can morph himself into whatever you need. He's been a huge bugaboo for this Pacers team and a guy that Rick does not mind talking on and on about loves Drew Holiday. The Pacers might be his biggest advocate, but um, that's what then will make this fifth and final meeting of the season between these two teams so interesting because, one – Tyrese Halliburton's planning to return after missing 10 of the last 11 games. Hamstring injury. Do not expect him to get a full workload, even though he did in Portland, I think, a week and a half ago. And that was, I think, I would call it a mistake to play 35 minutes in your first game back. And then on top of that, the Pascal Siakam layer adds additional intrigue, I think, to this matchup. It's on TNT nationally. Um, so, Pacer fans, there's no CD in, in Quinn Buckner. There will be no Bally Sports broadcast. Um but this is some. This matters. This is another thing that is different, Drew. Here between the markets, Boston's probably on national TV 15, 20 times this season. For the Pacers, ignoring the in-season tournament, this is their one of the season. So oh, your damn right, Tyrese wants to play tonight. Wow, that's crazy. That's just not right. Third straight year that they were only getting one nationally TV game uh, before the season. Man, maybe that that. We've had times in the past where they maybe get three and then come back yeah. where it's like, yeah, actually, we're going to take off that one game or things like that. So this matters to Pacer fans. In addition to the regional sports network feud kind of thing that makes it harder to watch nowadays, this also is in large part the national TV conversation is why Tyrese, I think, led the Eastern Conference guards in voting because fans could finally see what he could do in three straight games on national TV. Yeah, see, I, I guess before the season, it sort of makes sense from the network perspective. But I think this will probably be the last year for a long time that the Pacers only have one scheduled national TV game. Because I don't know, I mean, as a basketball fan, I love watching the Pacers play. It's, I mean, it's like, I, I feel like I need a, a cigarette after watching every quarter <laughs> because it's insane. The pace, and I know you said they maybe they've calmed down with that a little bit, but God, they're still going to run you and... Halliburton is so fun to watch, man. I mean, he's been 
one of the most impressive dudes we've seen all season. And I think because doing these road games, you get to go to all these other arenas. You get to see these guys in their elements. I'd say the most impressive guys we've seen, maybe from the younger crowd, like Steph killed us in overtime when we were at Golden State. But, you know, he's kind of he's an all timer. In, in terms of the young guys, I think Edwards, Gildas Alexander and Halliburton. Those guys have been the most impressive. I, I throw De'Aaron Fox in there, too. We were at Sacramento. He didn't have a great game when we played there. But he was awesome in the first quarter, but sort of cooled down. Meanwhile, Halliburton is just like he's a straight up killer. Um, and it's funny because he is always smiling and seems like such a fun guy to be around. The, the outfits he's worn on the bench have been fun to follow. Um, but obviously, you'd rather have him playing. And I think people are starting to find out just how good he is. Um, and I think you're right about the the national TV thing. and The, the in-season tournament was built for a team like the Pacers. Totally. Like you you knew you knew that one of these young up up and coming teams was going to make a statement and in the west it could have been New Orleans and in, in the east it could have been Indy. And in a one and done format, I mean, the Pacers it's not that much of a surprise that they made it all the way to the championship. Before we we played them there, Brian Scalabrini who I call the games with, he was pretty confident. You know, he filled out his bracket, he had Celtics Lakers with of course the Celtics winning and it's like we're not losing this game. I'm like, I don't know, bro. I think I think this is a big spot for Tyrese and this team as a whole. And then he comes out and he had a triple double in that game. His first career triple. He, he had his first triple double against us. That could be. It feels like six months ago, quite frankly. Whole yeah, but, but he obviously gets up for it. And and I think even though he hasn't played a whole lot lately, he'll be up for this one tonight. Yeah, and he has good reason to. Um, because they made no bones about it. Back then, he said he was tired of being a loser. He That was his biggest, the in-season tournament quarterfinal. That was his biggest game that he had ever played, if you consider it. Like, think about that. Like, that's very real. That was not an overstatement for him at a time. Versus Tatum and company, you know, they had reached, what, conference finals. And so yeah. they had experienced all that, all the national TV, and et cetera. So that'll be interesting. And the last dynamic, I think, that adds some intrigue to it is the fact that even though it's a much different team, and Tyrese did not play in that first meeting in Boston, the Pacers got embarrassed, losing by yeah. like you want. So there's no doubt that if I'm Rick Carlisle and staff, I'm reminding the team of that, even though that was seemingly six months ago is what it felt like. Right. Any final thoughts, Drew? I know you got a busy schedule here. Any final <laughs> thoughts on what you look ahead to um, with this matchup and, and potentially um, for both teams down the road? I'm just excited to see Siakam yeah. and, and where he fits in. Like I mentioned Anthony Calhoun earlier, he's – He's texted me a couple times that, you know, outside of Boston, you know, Indy might be the second best team in the East. And I'm like, listen, brother, I, I love you, AC. I, I get that you cover the team, but I don't know, man. I mean, those top three to me sort of separated themselves. I, I would actually put the Celtics in their own tier. I know I'm biased, but if you look at the standings, that's that's how it is. And then Philly and Milwaukee. But the thing is, with the Pacers going for it like this and the Heat trading for Rozier, and we know what they can do in the playoffs, to me – that two through seven stack, I really could see any of those teams beating each other in the playoffs. And like we discussed with the Pacers, their their volatility level is so high with the, the pace they play and the amount they shoot, and they've got a maestro in Halliburton and a great coach. They could get to the Eastern Conference Finals. Like, it would not be a shock. And, and I love that they go for it um, because I feel like you hear people sometimes say you can't make a big trade like that unless it you know, guarantees that you're going to be in the conference finals and gives you a chance at the at the championship. I don't think Indiana has a chance to win the title this year, but they still made a big aggressive move, and I love that because to me it makes the NBA better. It, it's better when 30 teams are, aren't all either we're going to win the championship or we're going to try to suck. 
like you need teams to actually try to win basketball games. And I, I really commend the Pacers for doing that. And I'm excited to see how Pascal fits in. Cause like you said, it'll be the first time the Celtics play them since that trade. And I, I really want to see how they look and how legit they feel. Cause there are other teams in the East Scott that are playing extremely well. Like the Cavs, I guess, coincidentally or confusingly ever since Garland and Mobley haven't been playing. They've been the best team in the league aside from the Knicks. So there are so many good teams in the East. I think the Pacers could certainly be in that grouping. So I want to see how it looks now that they're like fully constructed. Yeah, I think my biggest thing is doing that trade. One, makes you relevant, gives you a chance to win a series or at least a game in the playoffs. They haven't won a series in 10 years. Like That's yeah. how dire and weird it's been because we're used to this team always being relevant and in the conversation. Not to win it all, but to make some noise. They haven't won a playoff uh, what a game since like 2018. So that's where this trade moves the needle a little bit. And on top of that, Pacers are never going to be able to, or at least haven't been shown to ever thus far, to sign a player of that caliber in free agency. Nobody chooses Indy over another market, um, all yeah. things considered. So they set themselves up well. Anyways, I appreciate the time. Thanks so much. I'm sure we'll have plenty of conversations over the years. And uh, appreciate you jumping on the podcast here to preview tonight's game, Drew. Thanks for having me, Scott. Are you going to be in Boston tonight? You traveling? I wish. No. No, I don't do many road games anymore. Brutal. Um, unfortunately, because whatever I travel all comes down to my budget. So <laughs> uh, I usually save that for the big games, in-season tournament, playoffs, regional games, so that type of thing. I got you. Well, maybe if we see you in the playoffs, then we can uh, we can have a beer. We can have a Sam Adams. All right, first I want to just get your reaction to being included in All-Star Weekend coming up as the lone representative for the Mad Ants. What's that kind of mean to you, being a rookie and, and being part of something that's special for you, for the team, the franchise, and this city? Well... These amazing things. When I hear they tell me that, I was like, wow, glory be to God, because uh, it is one thing I always pray and say, if I can be in it, I'll thank God, and I appreciate it. The organization, everybody give me opportunity. So the reaction it was big. It was real big. I was like, wow. I went home and prayed. I told my mom, come on, mom. So we were talking. It was so amazing. It was great, and I'm still happy. I can't wait for that day. So the first call was to mom. Yes. What was her reaction? My mom, she was like, no way. I see. My mom said, but I look on social media, I don't see anything. They told me. Um, you, got, you got it ahead of everybody. I, I had I everybody. <laughs> yeah. And my mom said, I don't see anything. I said, don't worry. They told me. My mom said, are you sure? Is it, is it real? I said, it's real. But then uh, mm -hmm. today they announced it. Then she called me. She was like, wow. You are, you are amazing. Uh, continue working. It was great. I mean, we may see you with Tom and, and the staff because they'll be part of that. So you'll you'll be able to potentially share in that with them as well. I'll be able to share. Uh, God has been doing a lot, lot of wonderful things in my life, especially he's my teammates here. If I was not with them, like I couldn't have done it myself. And um, I just thank Tom. Tom been working with me every day mm -hmm. to get to where I am today. So I'm just appreciated. And I cannot wait to see how far God is going to take us. What has stood out to you, Oscar, about just this rookie season, both Pacers, Mad Ants, trying to figure things out on the fly, learn the new terminology, learn learn the new league, pace, space, all that different kind of thing? It is, uh, I'm enjoyable. I'm enjoying everything. But at some point, like this week, we play game, Mad Ants today, Pacers tomorrow, Mad Ants today, Pacers tomorrow. So we play from Monday to Monday, um, a Sunday to Monday. For me, it was great because I'm learning a new experience. I know the life of two is not easy. But mm -hmm. you just gotta make sure you get good nicely. 
you meditate, you calm yourself down, and always be ready to go. This rookie year, it is one of the, the year for me has bring a lot, but I just gotta learn how, um, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta learn, <laughs> I gotta learn how to, how to continue and be always waiting for anything. Mm-hmm. How about just the, the way in which you've been able to stack double doubles, game in and game out? Another one today. Um, that's that's huge in helping the Mad Ants try to accomplish what they're trying to accomplish right now. It is about um, consistency. You gotta always work harder. Hard work always brings something. For me, just to dominate it, dominate it. Come with the mentality. Mm-hmm. Today I gotta dominate it and to help my team win. I, I look up for that double double. Like today I was in real foul trouble. But I look up and still got double-double, and I thank God. That was great. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to see so many Kentucky fans come out game in and game out, especially over the weekend when, I mean, I couldn't even count how many of those were there still clinging on to you and, and here to support you directly? I love my people from Kentucky and everywhere. Uh, they show me support everywhere I go. I see them all the time, mm-hmm. even in here, working in the road. Oscar! But I just want to say thank you for those people because they follow me everywhere. They show me the true love. Mm-hmm. The true love is someone driving three hours just to come watch a game. And after the game, they say hi to you. They bring something you send. They left the game. You have to be someone special who they care about and come. So I am so grateful. That's why I take it so much time yeah. for them. Yeah, because you're one of the last guys always to sign after each game, and so that's that's your way of giving back when they're yes, here. Yes, sir. That way to give back is just if you give someone two minutes, three minutes, they can make it a day. Sometimes it's not all about money, mm-hmm. but sometimes we can give you somebody two minutes, three minutes, just trying to understand them, talk to them, smile at them, and they're gonna. You can make it the rest of the day, probably like the week. You never know, and they're gonna be so happy. Talked about going back and forth between Mad Ants and Pacers. Yes, sir. Um, what's kind of that, the overall challenge in that being beyond just the sleep factor and what city for city is it? Is it been more simple just because the terminology generally and the, what your guys are trying to do is mostly the same, even though it's different um, players? You just gotta be ready. You never know when they're gonna call you. Mm-hmm. You never know when your opportunity is comes. Um, it's been a little bit challenging because it's something I never done before. But right now I'm used to it. Yeah. Um, I already know if the Pacers are playing, I play with the Marlins. If they are playing, I know if they're home. If I'm not dressing, I gotta be with them. If I'm not dressing, I gotta be wearing. And if, like in case I dress, I gotta always be active. So I am. I'm enjoy it. I'm enjoy it, and everything is going really good. I mm-hmm. love. The, I love all the players. They motivated me when I'm at the bench. My assignment is to take notes about everything that's happening. I'm taking note to Myers, Jackson, okay. Smith, everybody that I just taking notes how they're moving, how they communicate. That's the game I'm learning right now. Right now I'm like a student to the basketball, to the NBA game, because the uh, college game it was a little bit different in the NBA. NBA you gotta use your head to be able to play out. And lastly, just um, in terms of learning from a guy like Tyrese, who's also named to the All-Star game, what, what are some things maybe you've taken away from him or, or another guy I think of as Miles for you specifically? The character and the responsibility is mm-hmm. something it, it, it takes them to become a great. Uh, Ty is always 
he's always doing something really not great. You don't see him. You never see him late. Even if something, um, even if it's not important, you're going to see him on time. You're going to be there maybe 20 minutes before everybody. Um, Just the accountability factor. Accountability. Professionalism. Yeah, in professional mindset. Myers, mm -hmm. uh, too, his routine is so incredible. We're going to finish again. We're going to see him in a co-top. We're going to see him in a lifting, stretching to keep his body so fresh. His body makes sure he's ready for tomorrow. I look at them every, every time. I'm just taking notes from them. And I go home. I try to do the same. Make sure you are repeating the same thing they are doing to become professional. You mentioned meditating. Did you get that from Miles? Or is that something you had been doing previously? It's something I've been doing. But I see Miles sometimes before the game. He meditating a little and bit. And at halftime especially half too. Yeah, he meditating, meditating. He keeps your mind a little bit locked in. Meditation is great because uh, it takes your mind of so many things. You're trying to calm yourself down and bring the spirit of God in you and keep you going, help you a lot. All right, that'll do it for another episode of the Fieldhouse Files podcast. You can follow all my coverage at fieldhousefiles.com. Subscribe and my stories are delivered right to your inbox. And I'll talk to you again soon.